on this episode of Never Surrender. I often think about these performances as, as, as ways to maybe like build a tougher shell or something. Like if, if I know the hardest thing that I can imagine, like standing still for three months, nine hours of day, then whatever life throws at me next, I'll be like totally prepared for it. So, so is that part yeah. of it then, trying to see like how much your, your mind and body can withstand? Yeah, because being alive is fucking hard, you know? It's really tough. And so if I can kind of like keep pushing this line to what like I can survive, then I'll be golden. I'm Jack Hergeth. And I'm Stephen Kramer Glickman. And this is Never Surrender. The show where we sit down with the most successful people in the entertainment industry to talk about failure and how they pushed through it and never gave up. Because we've all failed. We've all had setbacks. Yeah, we've all questioned whether to keep going. But at some point, everybody struggles. Yeah, I mean, I've been let go from some of my favorite jobs. You and me both. We just hope that by listening to this podcast, it will help give you the strength to never surrender. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Our guest today is a performance artist whose art has been featured in exhibitions all around the world, from L.A. to New York to Paris. And he's received a number of recognitions and awards for his work. He's known to test the limits of his body to produce thought-provoking pieces. Through his art, he's tackled issues of race, gender, and sexuality. His art is an honest presentation of how he struggled, continues to struggle, and how he faces those challenges. This is E.J. Hill. E.J. Hill, thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you for having me. Um, it is our uh, pleasure. Yeah, it really is. It's so cool. Um, you know, getting to to sit down with uh, an artist like you know, like yourself, a performance artist and a painter, sculptor. I mean, you are, uh, and you, you do installations. You're. Uh, and you're very well loved in the art community. <laughs> Am I? That's cool. I I, I hope so. <laughs> that that's gotta feel that's gotta feel good. Do you have, um, do you have a uh, a lot of artist friends? Do you have other people that that are artists that you hang out with and check out their stuff, or do you kind of prefer to be the only one? In the, no, in the group. I couldn't actually do any of this if I didn't have people with me or and beside me who actually understand what it feels like to. I don't know. It's a it's a weird life, you know. I I wasn't ever expecting to be an artist, or let alone an artist who um, is kind of like doing it as a career, you yeah. know, like a livelihood, like a thing that I, it's like my job at this point, which is dope. So I, if, if I didn't have other people around me, I wouldn't be able to do this. Yeah. I don't want to be the, the only one. The were, guy you, were you interested in, in art as a kid? Like were, were there things about art that it 
interested you at that time or um i mean i talking to older cousins and aunts and uncles they would always say that i i I was a creative kid but no one had ever used the word artistic and i didn't even know like my knowledge of art stopped at you know watercolors basically that's where mine stops you know like (laughs) right like the the stuff that hangs in like waiting room offices um sure so that that was what art was to me um so i never imagined that i could do anything within the realm of art um as yeah as an adult so so i would say no like i like to sing when i was younger and i like to do things like make stuff with my hands but i i never really thought about it as like capital a like high art you know contemporary art yeah because when i was a kid like my idea of art was remember the back of those magazines they would have like draw this turtle or draw this bird like oh and then you can get into art school (laughs) yeah that's what they would yeah yeah draw Petey or Timmy or you know yeah. whatever and I'm like, a bear oh, okay. or something draw this bear and then you can get into art school I was like oh I, I can do that I can <laughs> be an artist art. I, can, I can, can draw yeah. this turtle yeah oh yeah I when I was a kid I used to do uh, little uh, stop motion uh, videos that's oh, nice. what I, I I thought was like the the I didn't know how far anything like that could go but I did uh, I did I did like to draw and then try to make flip books things like that you know like I thought that was all really cool and I wasn't really introduced into like big you know like artists and pa- I mean I think you know as a kid you're you're like oh Michelangelo and and mm-hmm. stuff like this but it's mostly because of the Ninja Turtles. Um, but that, <laughs> you don't really know about all, you don't really, as a kid, you don't really know that much about it. Um, what was like the first artist that your or the first work that you saw as a kid that you were like, oh, this is, this speaks to me. Like this is mm. important to me. I actually, so I didn't really see or encounter any art until I got to art school, which was a total gamble. Someone, you know, uh, my first art mentor was this woman, Margaret Nomentano, who worked at this summer camp um, in Maine that I worked at. Um, and How old were you when you were at that camp? I, I think I was like a junior counselor, so I was about maybe 19, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Like 19 or 20. Um, and this was like a regular summer camp for, for kids to go to? Yeah, this uh-huh. was a camp in Maine, or it was kind of, you know, that region, New England, is kind of known for having these, like, you know, camps where children of uh, wealthy parents can go, like, canoe and water ski for a summer. Um, but this camp was, like, specifically for children uh, of Maine. So it was, like, um, tuition-free. You had to be referred to the camp by uh, guidance counselor or school therapist or something like that. So it was for, for uh, you know, kids from lower-income families. And so we had this drawing workshop, and we were going to pilot an arts education program uh, one summer. And so they brought in a local artist to do, like, a week-long drawing workshop with the oldest campers, which were about 15, 16, and I was supposed to be her assistant for the week. And that's how I kind of got introduced to this thing called art and she um suggested i go to an art school and i was like what was it of your work that she saw that kind of like what did where do you think she came up with that idea i think it was so while she was offering you know the drawing lessons to the the you know older kids i was sort of at their side drawing with them and like really getting excited about this thing and I think that's when she saw a light bulb and so I was again like 19 or 20 at this time I had no college ambition I just wanted to like hang out in the woods and like work at camps and after school programs um, and she maybe saw that these lessons kind of like you know jolted something in me um, so she suggested I might you know maybe look into going to art school 
So before this, you weren't sure what you wanted to do? No, wow. I knew, I, I kind of knew that I wanted to work uh, within spheres of education, but not in the 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. classroom setting. But, you know, alternative ed, summer camps, after school programs, uh, uh, outward bound trips, like places where you're still learning and you get to work with youth, um, but you're not like confined to a desk and sure. regulated by a bell. I get that. I mean, when I graduated from high school, I I did not want to go to like a regular university, and it was a uh, you know I I was not good at math, you mm-hmm. know, and like things, and I was like, oh, I'm, I have to go to like a university and be stuck in classes right. with like two hundred, four hundred people or whatever. Like it all seemed ridiculous and. And then I went to like an acting conservatory nice. and like to, to like check it out. And I was like, they're just doing everything already. Yeah, it's yeah. like they're already doing all the stuff that I would love to do. Exactly. It's got to kind of feel like that, you know? Well, yeah, because at that point, by the time, you know, you're 18, you're, you've been in school for what, like 13 years and it's been like the same exact thing every year. There's like yeah. no, mo- there's like no, I mean, yeah, sure. There are things like, uh, uh, sort of like Waldorf schools or something, but, right. um, but, but most people are going to like right. social studies and right. then this and history and whatever. And after and that, like, oh. I couldn't, I couldn't bear to think of like a, another second of something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was like, maybe college just isn't for me. This isn't the life that like I don't, I can't, I can't do this. Did you feel any pressure from your parents? Because I've oh, had, yeah. I've had friends of mine who are first generation Americans and mm-hmm. their parents emigrated from Belize, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, my friends who had parents who had emigrated had a lot of pressure put on them to be, you know, a success. Like, you need to be a doctor. Yeah. You need to be a lawyer. You need to be <laughs> a professional. And my uh-huh. friend, I've told this before, just wanted to get into radio. And they were like, no, you need to be a doctor first, and then you can do radio. Right. So right. I'm just curious, like, is that something that you face with your And his your name was Dr. Drew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Dr. Oz is his name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think my mom was the one who was kind of like, you need like a, you know, quote unquote, real job. Um, you should go to college, get a good job, like that whole thing. So I was very, very pressured uh, by her because, again, no one in the family had ever pursued anything like this. And even when my dad attempted to pursue, it was just something that he kind of like put on um, the back burner because he had to like support a family, you know. Um, so there was, yeah, there, there, there was a lot of pressure, um, mostly from... Um, from my mom to kind of like go a traditional route. And I think she has only recently come around within the last few years as she sees that like me lifting a bunch of stuff in the garage and getting um, messy with materials like is now starting to pay for a life that um, is like taking me away from like relying on her for stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's been, it's been kind of cool to see this flip, you know? Let's go back to early performance. Yeah. Work. What, what are you doing? What's the? Because I've seen what you've been doing. Yeah. Other, like more currently, but what are some of the early stuff? Uh, so one of the earliest ones. I mean, you know, in I again with a limited knowledge of art, getting there and they're teaching, you know, stuff from the '60s, like uh, Chris Burden or Carolee Schneeman or all of these people who are using um, their bodies as material. We're watching like every other week. There's some nude body on some like projection. Uh, I think uh, you know, like the the Carolee Schneeman uh, um, uh, Meet Joy piece. Um, uh, there's maybe like 
16 upwards to like 20 people rolling around um, in like chicken and fish and uh, raw meat in just rolling around this like warehouse space um, as an art performance. And so if this is kind of what I'm being trained in my first one, I was like, well, yeah, all right. So I'm going to be nude in performances almost every time. So whether I was like shaving my entire body from like head to toe or like dragging myself through uh, a field or something, it was always really aggressive and uh, oftentimes I was wearing no clothes. And so my mom, I remember one day, seeing something or maybe one of her friends or family members sent uh, a write-up from one of these performances and I'm nude in one of the photos and she's like hey uh, so uh, I saw you know this art piece that you did Uh, can you take that down I don't really like it and so I was like mom that's not how the internet works I have like I don't I can't (laughs) <laughs> that's there let me call the wow. internet yeah, yeah, yeah. and tell them to take it down yeah. sure of yeah. course hello internet yeah. yeah take this down please yeah <laughs> my mom hates it yeah um well what was that like though like if you're like okay i'm going to shave my whole body from head to toe yeah, yeah have you ever been naked on. in front of a lot of people before um i mean like how deep are we getting <laughs> get, get deep baby yeah, get, get deep, deep baby <laughs> I mean, yeah, but um, not in a professional context, you know? Okay, but um, you, so you weren't, comp- were you, like, on a scale of one to ten, ten being like, this is the most uncomfortable thing in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. Like, I was on a TV show, and mm-hmm. they needed me to strip down to my underwear, mm-hmm. uh, and then cuddle a, a, a man in yeah, bed. Yeah, that sounds and great. It was, yeah, but it was the first time I'd ever been in my underwear on television, mm-hmm. and I was like, and I'm, I'm a fat guy, and I was like, very, very nervous about, about like, how I was gonna look, <laughs> and I'm like, trying to hold my stomach, but even, even then, you can see, you can see, I'm like a big guy, and uh, it was, uh, I was, I would say like out of ten, being ten the most scariest mm-hmm. ever. I was probably at about an eight, seven, nice. seven or eight. That's not, yeah, so that's I was like not trying bad. to be, I was trying to be confident, but also it's like it's it's it, it's nerve wracking. For you, the first time you were in front of like a full crowd full of people doing mm-hmm. an art piece and you were naked, what? Where were you in the in the fear specter? I would spectrum. I would say around yeah, like a seven-ish as well. You yeah. know, because I think that the audiences that I, I was performing for at that time were also trained, and you know, we were all looking at the same stuff and the 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 same art historical context. We were all like learning together, so it wasn't um, it wasn't for audiences who were like new to the, my peers, the people in my classes and people, the people immediately surrounding the, the art school that I was attending. Um, yeah. I think I was more afraid of my family finding out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they did, it was kind of like this unspoken thing. Like my mom was the only one who like brought it up. Wow. Um, but I feel like nude performances is, 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 you know, it's like a trope in performance art. It's kind of like the, the gateway drug or something. You right, gotta like... Right. Of the stuff that you did in your early works, do you have a favorite, like a favorite thing that you did? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I do have. So I, there's one, I was doing this residency in Wisconsin, and we're driving into the town, and there's this banner that's like, next weekend, you know, Civil War reenactment weekend. And I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. I think it was called it, Musket. It was like the, you know, 
like 86th annual like muskets and memories weekend or something oh, and so, it's so my favorite. yeah so i'm like driving into this town and i'm just like what where am i like this is going to be a really difficult two weeks i think like this is how i'm entering the town on this like you know tiny road this two-way road and uh so i decide if i'm going to be in this town for two weeks and they're getting ready for this huge event uh, in order for me to settle and sleep nicely, I have to go engage. Like I have to just like see what it's about and like be here. Um, and so I went down, I think on the second day and um, wore like a dress shirt and nice uh, slacks and a little tiny American flag pin and then just like dragged my body using only my arms through the Confederate camp, like across oh, the field. Geez. Uh, and that was that was like one of my one of my favorite pieces because the reaction from you know I'm inserting myself into this situation where uh, it's been planned and organized and thought about and and I'm just going as like a the the rupture point I guess a little bit sure um, wow. and so that I think in terms of the fear that you were asking about earlier like that that was one of the I. I was afraid that I was going to get like assaulted. Um, yeah, I so, don't blame you. That's um, that one. That one had my heart racing for a while, but then after I made it across the field, um, you know, relatively unscathed. I think it's one of the more, um, yeah, sort of like emotionally, psychically rewarding pieces. And what kind of reaction were you getting from these people? I had a few people in attendance who were like, "Are you okay, man? Like, do you need water?" Because I, I didn't, I didn't anticipate how it would look to people, but people thought I was like, actually hurt and struggling, or maybe like having a heart attack or something. Uh, and then other people, <laughs> there's this one part where my friend was videotaping, uh, documenting for me. There's one part where um, EMS services like come, and you can hear the engine idling out of frame. And then they just kind of drive around me without ever saying a word. And that was like a really kind of beautiful and dark moment. One thing that I know that we've we've heard a little bit about is that you take breaks uh, from doing big performance art. Mm-hmm. By, and, and, and in the breaks, you'll paint mm-hmm. and stuff and do other things to kind of... Mostly cry. but Mostly cry. Know. Sure, of course, of course. Um, and now, that that's a real thing. Like, you know, uh, I saw some pictures of you at um, one of the universities where you were standing all day. And mm-hmm. it's like a... A piece, that's basically the piece is that you're standing on a podium, mm-hmm. right? And then there was like a track and field kind of built around it with photographs of you uh, running around the campus, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. then you were, but then you stood on this podium. How long did you stand on the podium for without getting off? I was on the podium um, every hour the museum was open to the public. So from uh, Tuesday to Sunday. I only had one day off. Um, Tuesdays through Friday were about like nine hours, I think. And then um, Saturday and Sunday, uh, I believe, were six hours. Okay, so for nine hours, mm-hmm. you're standing without moving. Pretty much, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, what do you do about the bathroom, about <laughs> things like that? What do you do? Uh, I was fasting the entire summer for three months. I would wake up and I would drink one glass of water at the latest. I would have my, maybe two glasses, but I wouldn't, um, I would have my last sip 
maybe two hours prior to standing on the podium. Uh, so I would be able to take care of everything. And then I wouldn't eat until I got home around like nine o'clock that night. Wow. And then how is your body reacting to you, you know, standing on a podium for nine hours a day, several days a week? Like, uh, My knees and my lower back were, and a lot of the time my upper back toward the end of the summer were just like on fire. It was really painful. Oh, I can't imagine. And yeah. then months after would still have like pain in my back. So you really are like the living definition of a, of a tortured artist. <laughs> like you, you seem to, I mean, just looking at your work and, and uh, you know, seeing uh, some of the videos and what you've done, like it seems like you really go to the full extreme of, of not abusing your body, but doing things. Pushing that, it. Pushing yeah. it to the limit yeah. where you're, you know, jumping a rope for several hours on end. And, you know, Did you wear could, special shoes? I had some insoles, yeah, okay, inside good. the shoes, yeah. Or, you know, that piece you did when you were going around licking a wall right. until, your, until your tongue started bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, and then the you know, piece you did with a roller coaster, and you're, you know, you're lying there right. motionless for several hours a day. Yeah, it's that like was how, another I mean, months. what... I guess the question is, like, you know, are you concerned about, you know, taking it to the limit with your body? Do you do you mind it? Are you just trying to push boundaries? I mean, are you concerned about hurting yourself? Um, yeah, I am actually concerned about going too far. Um, I had, again, an, a professor in undergrad pull me aside after one performance and tell me, he, he's like, you know, it'd be irresponsible of me if I didn't let you know that this type of work that you're interested in and this type of performance that you're pursuing it has a line and he offered that some artists who kind of go down this path they find their line and then they step away and like you know maybe turn to painting or something else that is a little more sustainable and then um he let me know that other artists um when they find their line they cross it and Mm -hmm. that's that's it you know um and so he's like i don't like i have to let you know that like this path is something that many people have gone down before but just be careful and so that really stuck with me and he hasn't been the only person to to offer that to me over the years i think sometimes these things get like i do get a little bit too close to a line and i and for people who you know who care about me i i see that they're concerned um and uh, I I go into them not for shock value or not to just kind of like you know be this guy who's 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 trying to like get a rise out of people, but uh, I I often think about these performances as 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 ways to maybe like build a tougher shell or something. Like if if I know the hardest thing that I can imagine, like standing still for three months, nine hours of day, then whatever life throws at me next I'll be like totally prepared for because this seemingly impossible task has now created a new line for what my mind and body can withstand and it was under my control I set the parameters so the next time something comes along that I don't have control over I know that um, I'll be able to hang on so So is that part of it then trying to see like how much your your mind and body can withstand yeah because being alive is fucking hard you know Mm-hmm. It's really tough. And so if I can kind of like keep pushing this line to what like I can survive, then I'll be 
golden, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll be good. Wow. I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, now, after you have something like this happen, you do a big event, uh, you know, what is what is the following day like when you're done when you finished the big uh, the the big show and the big performance art piece what's the following day like what do you do on that day uh i'm i'm in bed if not the whole day uh for much of it and then i'll try to do something maybe a little restorative like head to the beach or go on a hike or maybe a little vacation somewhere but just something to kind of uh revive you know sure come back to life a little bit and and what do you think sort of pushes you to drive things to take things to the limit in in your performances i know we talked about this a little bit before but like what inside you is just driving you to like so kind of feel see like... how far you can go mm-hmm. um, when you know at the end of it there's going to be emotional pain there's going to be physical pain you're really sort of taking yourself through some dark places i think these performances i think about for months at a time so upward to a year i'm mulling something over and so when something takes over your mind for that long in order to like shake it out you know you just gotta gotta go through it yeah you gotta do it um but i think you know to your question jack what, what like drives me or what's driving these particular types of works i you know i i would say you know i i'm dealing with like a lot of shit from childhood and Mm -hmm. i think sitting in a therapist's office every week is like cool and like sure like mental health yeah let's go for it like let's be like let's make mental health uh trendy like taking care of yourself like let's let's get that trending i'm all for it however for me i found um sometimes that becomes the thing that sort of like puts thorns in my sides as well like my last therapist was like what do you mean she's like when did this happen was this in LA was this recently what do you mean like black people are being murdered by cops and I was like lady like are you like what like where where are you mm-hmm. yeah because you're not living in the world that I'm living in clearly and so like when I'm going to seek professional help for like all of these things that I feel like are sort of societal daggers being like thrown my way when I go to the person who's supposed to you know help with this and they then become another another blade I know that like I have to figure out not an alternative but a supplement to that you know a supplement to the the doctors and the therapists and this is sort of my way of saying well if I'm going to be alive in this world and if I'm going to have to deal with like all of these things that are very specific to my body and my person within this sort of social sphere sure then let's really do it and then I'm going to invite people to do it with me because this isn't just my shit this isn't just my problem this is like all of our deals and so if we can kind of like deal or uh encounter these feelings that might be tough to watch or tough to listen to tough to um grapple with uh maybe i can help you help me help all of us kind of move out of it and find something a little lighter right and i think that goes back to that quote you had in your lecture where you talked about when life gives you lemons struggle in public (laughs) correct yeah so is that part of it too like just taking all of your stuff that you're dealing with and like that is really sort of your therapy in a sense too right yeah yeah absolutely you have to if if you're not airing what it is that's kind of dragging you down 
then I mean, basically, it's just like asking for help. I mean, which is one of the hardest things to do. Sure. Uh, but in order to ask for help, it it has to like be a public thing. You have to make at least one other person outside of yourself aware of what's going on. A lot more to come with E.J. Hill when we come back. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. That's such a that's such a true thing. When when you, I know that you're doing that publicly with with uh, you know inviting people in to watch you perform and have a, a you know performance piece that 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 lets you handle things like that. But uh, when you are going through depression or you are going through like a hard time, do you have friends that you reach out to as well and let them know that that you're going through a hard time or do you just do it in the performance art? Yeah, no, I have people, um, friends and family that I go to and the performances, they're not always coming from that place. Um, but they, you know, it's, it's definitely part of it. And I do know that there's, you know, there's criticism of this type of practice where people are just like, dude, like, I don't, I don't want to help you carry any of this. This isn't my problem. Like be an adult, get, get a hang of, your own stuff, um, get a handle on it. And, and so it's, it's often seen as like, you know, part of the criticism is that it's, it's, um, uh, it's like narcissistic or it's like putting a burden on like someone else. Um, and I, at this point, I, I, I try not to listen to any of that. Um, because I hope it's my, my sincere hope is actually that it's not about me Mm -hmm. personally Mm. uh it starts here it starts from a position of i the individual but when i'm talking about like uh particular uh bodies that i think struggle a narrative of struggle is something that many different types of people can connect to and i speak from black i speak from queer because that's my experience but i think there are a lot of crossovers in 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 the bodies that we live in the the bodies that house us in public yeah is there um is there a piece or something that you want to do in the future but you're not ready to do it yet like do you have something kind of in the back of your mind like oh i want to i want to try try this out but you're just not ready to do it yet um 
So something I haven't been able to do yet, and I am ready for it. I just have to figure out how logistically this would work. But I, I would love to see like a, a 50 foot long or maybe even like, I don't know, let's go 50 yards. Let's go big, you know, a, a swing set um, of people trying to synchronize the swing so that all, you know, 150, however many people you can fit on this thing are swinging in tandem um and for that for that tiny moment of like bliss that can only last a fraction of a second when like all of these people are swinging together uh wouldn't that be crazy and then like how to sort of engage your body in a way and understand who's next to you to try to and it's something that happens without touch so you have to kind of be conscious of like your rhythms and the rhythms of the people next to you just to try to get that like fraction of a second where you can like all just be together i think that would be so beautiful i want to choreograph something like that I love it. I love idea. it. I love it. Do it. <laughs> I, I remember uh, just watching that video of you, of you at uh, at UCLA and you know screaming. And yeah. when you were done, uh, this woman kind of looks at the camera like, "Wow, what the hell was that about?" Right. <laughs> I'm curious, like, what sort of what's like the weirdest reactions like you're getting from people? Like, do you get like just crazy reactions sometimes, or people like, "I don't know what that's about," and like walk yeah. out or. I'm just curious, like, as you know, as to what yeah. sort of reactions you get from some people. Um, yeah. So the performance at the Hammer, I was there. So you know, people were like, "Oh, like, I wonder, like, how people are reacting to this." Like, as an artist, you always are kind of curious about what what your audience is engaging with and how. Um, I got to be, you know, there, like, fly on the wall the whole time. So I had a, a range of experiences. There were people who would come in and be really moved and cry in that room and I remember this one couple comes in and within seconds um, the guy turns to who I assume was his wife and he goes do you get it? She's like no and then they immediately leave and so they're like like, they didn't spend any time with anything Um, and then there were people who came in who um, would spend like a whole hour in that room in silence. Um, But yeah, some people, you know, some people just aren't into it and that's fine. Uh, Right. Have you ever had a, have you ever had a piece go wrong that you're working on? Yeah. This is so weird. I was thinking about this this morning, actually. Uh, I was thinking about this work where it worked in the context of like a grad school critique. Um, I got up during what was supposed to be my time to have my work discussed and I just peed on myself and stood there in a puddle of my own urine and no one I think my professor said later that she thought I was having a seizure because I just stood there silently and then other people just like didn't know what to do they thought it was like some kind of like thing that was happening to me um so again I'm kind of like looking at the the framework of the institution, the situation, and just attempting to obliterate it. Um, so then, and carpet. Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. And your pants. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but so someone, a gallery, someone who worked at a gallery at that time, heard about this performance, and then we talked about it. And I was like, Yeah, let's do it in the gallery. And and at that point, I didn't realize that certain things just don't work in certain situations. Um, you can't just plop something out of its original context and put it in another one and expect it to have the same kind of potency. So. So I built this little wooden platform, this stage in this gallery and invited everyone over like, come on down, like, you know, performance, 8 p.m. It's going to be great. And people show up 
and they're all sitting in like seats facing this like low stage oh, for this like oh. performance um and then i go up there and it i kind of like you know get a little nervous and i like can't pee so i'm like shit i'm like trying to pee and and just waiting there and everyone's just like waiting for something to happen and then i finally urinate and then i stand there and the whole the experiment in my head was like how if you set something up in a room uh as like a traditional performance seats in rows facing a stage or a platform and then do something like this what would happen would someone get up and freak out and like yell like throw a tomato at the stage uh and what i realized is that when you set the conditions people generally just like follow the rules and that was kind of a bummer so i was up there for about two and a half hours in wet pants and no one like did or said anything and then i got so sad and started to cry when i realized that i could be up here forever and no one not a single person would like say hey man are you okay like is everything all right and i got super bummed out so i think that piece just like totally it wasn't um maybe a success for different reasons but um that one still is just like i could have thought about that differently and done some things to kind of tie that neatly and does does your does your mom come to all your shows and does she give you notes on on oh well you know you standing for a long time or urinating in your pants or or the roller coaster bit like does she go to all your shows and just give you her her notes or her impressions because i just can see like if it was me doing that my mom would come and be like oh well you know i'm worried about your shins (laughs) from standing so long or you know, maybe you shouldn't do this or that. I'm just, right. you know, just as an, in a pure mom sense. Yeah, she's definitely, definitely a mom in that way. Um, it's it's very rarely notes to where I can improve. It's mostly just like, why don't you just do it for like two days, you know, <laughs> right. instead of three months? Like, so uh-huh. she definitely has ideas about what shouldn't happen. Um, right, of course. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I know. This well, she's looking out for you. Yeah, she's no, I know. I know. Yeah. I'd be doing the same thing with my kids. They'd be like, oh, you know, maybe you should do it for two days or <laughs> do it for one day and see how you feel. <laughs> yeah. I spoke to my mom this morning and told her about some of the big things that I'm working on coming here to do this and, and, and how I'm very excited and, you know, your, your, how incredible your work is. And I was like, I'm a big fan of, you know, EJ Hill. I got to, I got to get, I get to meet him and get to sit down with him. And, uh, and, and her response was, that's so nice. Have you thought about putting on a production of Fiddler on the Roof at a synagogue in Los Angeles? Because people really like that show. I know you like doing these interviews, but musicals can be. I was like, I got to go. I have to get off. I love her. God bless her. She's wonderful. I wish she would give me that feedback. Oh, asking you. Can I I sit down with her? Oh, she'll tell you the same thing. Okay. (laughs) Come on, Jack. We'll we'll, we'll do it. Let's arrange a meeting with your mom. uh, Yes, there we go. Uh, That's the way to do it. I want to talk about one of your pieces and, and that was the piece you did uh, with your victory laps mm-hmm. where you went around to all these different educational institutions, different schools that you had gone to in LA and had done like victory laps mm-hmm. in front of each one. Um, what sort of uh, uh, what inspired you to do that and how did you feel afterwards? Uh, I I was living in New York for a couple years, maybe like a year and a half, um, as a, I was doing this residency at the Studio Museum in Harlem. And then when I moved back to L.A., uh, I wanted to sort of, you know, reinsert myself in, in this city again and, and kind of deal with my old ghosts. Uh, and so one way to do that was to 
confront them head on. So I went back to every school that I had attended here. And as someone who, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really like a good student, traditionally good student. Like I said earlier, I didn't have any college ambition. So to be in this point in my life and my career where things are going well and um, the work is regarded and written about and uh, recently, you know, I heard that like some people are like teaching the work and they're like college courses. So like to, oh, wow. to be at this point and then looking back to all of those times in school where like the teachers were just like, what are you doing kid like you know like had these ideas for me but like I could never see what it was going to be going back and dealing with like all of these memories of like these classes and these teachers who um I think in a way kind of failed me um Mm -hmm. you know uh and so I went back and and just kind of ran around all of these schools um I love it and kind of like claimed reclaimed these spaces for myself not as sites of trauma or bad memories or frustration but like a place that for better or for worse formed me Mm -hmm. and influenced who I am today and went back and kind of ran around them as an act of like I did this you know I did it that's awesome you're so cool how did you feel afterwards yeah I mean I felt great like Uh I you know and I actually so I went to Loyola for freshman year of high school for just that one year and that was probably one of the toughest um years in school for me for a lot of different reasons but um i remember seeing a bumper sticker on a car a loyola high school bumper sticker uh and all of the years in seeing sweatshirts on kids walking around la or the bumper stickers i remember feeling like oh like fuck that school you know Mm -hmm. but then after running that lap uh for that one year that i was there I saw a bumper sticker maybe two months after that on the freeway and smiled, you know? Oh, wow. Like, I, like it, it, that school. You're changing your own memories. Yeah. 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 It feels, when I think about Loyola, it feels different in my body now because I did that lap and, like, dealt with the shit that I needed to deal with. That's so That's cool. so amazing. I think I'm going to do that to all the places I used to work at. There you Good go. idea. Run around some places where I had shitty-ass jobs, those shitty people I worked with who were, like, out to get me, and let just run around those Sweat places. Sweat it out. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think I'm going to do that. Yeah, create new memories in old Because that's really amazing. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. really like that idea. That's really yeah. cool. We've been told yes. that you are really into astrology. Yes. <laughs> and so we want to talk oh, about astrology forgot. right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's go. Okay. Yeah. So, I'm ready. Uh, how so? How so? How so? Please. I mean, well, I feel like what's funny about astrology, especially like, you know, now that there's like an Instagram account for like every sign, you know, there's probably like 300 for every sign. Um, most people just know about their sign which is like a you know really funny part of the the sort of like astrological moment but i think in so many ways the more people that i meet um debt like i i took a little staycation with a friend of mine who's visiting from out of town and we went up to topanga and the first thing that we did when we got to this beautiful house i immediately changed and jumped in the pool and he started cleaning around the house and he's like if this isn't a virgo cancer uh combo i don't know what it is you know? sure yeah. i was just like where's the water i want it and he's like organizing everything um it's, it's just like when i'm I, when, a cancer my wife's a virgo no way yeah amazing yeah, yeah. i'm yeah. a pisces oh so. watery yeah yeah all right yeah yeah no this is um it's it's funny because like of course it's not tried and true across the board but like there are certain traits that i think just makes sense um Mm -hmm. the more people i meet and 
the the deeper that I get into thinking about like how we move through the world, um, you know, there has to be something to the fact that like if the moon is strong enough to affect the waters and tides, like why can't it do the same thing to like the waters in my body? You know, like I don't. Sure. Yeah. It just kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's you cool. and I are moon children. Yeah, right? yeah. And I'm a fish. And you're a fish. <laughs> a couple do you, do you, of old fish. Do you fish. Uh, read about astrology a lot? Do you, uh, are you... I mean, I I don't get, like, too... I'm not going to take, like, a course. Or maybe, actually, I don't know. Maybe I will. Uh... I don't read too much, but uh-huh. I do. I do kind of dip into, um, uh, you know, co-star apps and like the uh, weekly astrological, like what's trying conjunct. Uh, I don't know all too deep, but I did have a reading with someone last year on my birthday that was kind of mind blowing. Oh wow! Yeah, with an astrologist, mm-hmm. astrologer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, Wait, so what's your so so, so w- astrology for you? Uh, for me, yeah. Well, I'm just uh, I'm a I'm a Pisces, you, but uh, <laughs> do you get my water my, yeah. my, my rising sign is Krispy Kreme donuts. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I don't know. Um, I don't know a great deal about my astrology, but the, uh, what I do know is that I am typical in some senses of a Pisces because I'm uh, very very emotional and mm-hmm. I listen. Uh, I'm a good listener. And I uh, and uh, watch a lot of TV, so you know. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure I don't know a lot about it. I don't know a lot about That's it. A good the, listener. But, uh, yeah, I'm chill. Good. Likes to watch a lot of TV. Yes, yes. That's the uh, rising. Very open. I'm a very open. Uh, or is that like book. your Tinder account? Whatever. <laughs> hey, look. That's between uh, you and me. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, with me, like I, I was really into it for a while. Not, not like so crazy into it, but yeah. I, like I would like, you know be interested in a girl or like her and I would be like oh and then I find out what her sign is and I would like go to the bookstore and like see oh, like read about like how compatible we'd be you know if we got into this relationship that would never happen yeah I do. Um, but yeah you know I recognize that you know I have very specific uh, traits that line up with what a cancer is I'm moody I'm, I can get depressed easily I can go into a shell easily um but I'm also very passionate, you know. I'm, you know, uh, it could be a life of a party. I'm very concerned about other people, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, yeah, I look at that and I'm like, oh, okay. And sometimes I'll read something that'll be way off. I'm like, that's not even me. And I'll read something that's spot on. I'm like, that's crazy how that can be. It is really wild. Yeah. I think it use it more as like a guide. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one other yeah. thing I wanted to ask you, like when you're doing your performance art, has anyone famous ever walked in and you're like, oh, fuck, it's George Clooney. Do I uh, just stand here and uh, how am I going to react? That's funny. <laughs> or is it Steve Glickman? Okay, uh, this. <laughs> like you're just standing there like, oh, fuck, it's, you know. Okay, you're, you're going to think I'm totally insane maybe for Please. this. Or, but there was one moment where I, because your mind goes to, a place that you can't even imagine when you're doing something like this. It just wanders for hours. During the performance... Are you thinking about, like, what am I going to do tonight when I get home? And, like, groceries. Everything. Uh-huh. All of it. I got to binge this on Netflix Yeah. Tomorrow. It's, like, the most absurd thoughts with the most, like, logical, and they're all mixed together. So I was lying on the platform of the roller coaster at the Studio Museum in 2016. My mind got in this wave where I was like, oh, no, like, this is the day that, like, Harry Styles is going to come to the museum. Like, I know it. I feel it. 
and I got stuck. That's so random. It's yes, exactly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I know. I wow. know. And so I'm laying on this platform, and I'm like, "What am I gonna do when he gets here? Do I break? Do I stand up and say, hey, you like love your work, man? Like that new album's just like Harry Styles.' Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like <laughs> I know it's so ridiculous, but this is. Well, we have a treat for you. Harry oh Styles is here. <laughs> like, come in the booth, Harry. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much. But okay, so so no, the answer to that is no, but I am definitely prepared for uh <laughs> for something. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you waited all day and he never fucking showed up. He didn't, but Pretty then asshole. after a few hours of like coming in and out of that thought, I was like, "Okay, EJ, you, like you have maybe 1 hour left of this and I'm so hungry. What am I going to eat tonight?" Uh-huh. And I'm like, so that's that's where it ended up. I was hoping you were going to tell me he walked in. (laughs) And then miraculously he walks in, you know, you get up, he says he's a big fan. That's the way to end that show. Um, EJ, it is an honor to have you. Thank you again. Thank you so much. You're very much. You're the greatest. This is great. Thanks so much. Can't wait to see what you do next. You bet. Never Surrender is produced by Western Sound. Executive producers are Jack Hergoth, Stephen Kramer Glickman, and Ben Adair. Producers are Sabrina Fang and Cameron Kell. Music by Hannes Brown. On social media, you can check us out on Instagram at NeverSurrenderPod, on Twitter at SurrenderPod, and on Facebook at NeverSurrenderPodcast. You can also email us at NeverSurrenderPodcast at gmail.com to share your own stories about how you struggled, failed, and ultimately never surrendered. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.